Good morning. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors at Grace, and I'm so glad that you've joined us this morning in particular because we're starting a new sermon series this morning, looking at the letter of the Apostle Paul to the churches in the Roman province known as Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. Now, at the risk of oversimplifying the situation, the churches in Galatia were being bombarded with voices telling them how they should live advice as to what day-to-day life should look like now that they were Christians, now that they were followers of Jesus. What did it look like to be part of God's family? Uh, The teachers that were, uh, they were listening to uh, were telling them these things, and Paul heard about it, that they were following these teachers. And he wrote this letter of response, and as we read it, you'll see it's incredibly passionate because Paul saw a problem. And it wasn't just a problem of lifestyle, but to Paul it was a problem of life and death. This morning, what we'll see is that Paul addresses a question that's incredibly fundamental, a question that you and I should ask ourselves. What do you need? Think about that as we hear God's Word read. A reading from the book of Galatians, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Oh God, we thank you that you speak to us through your word this morning, and we ask that you would send your spirit to us so that the words written by the Apostle Paul centuries ago would fill us with joy, would renew our hearts. We ask that you would convict us when our lives seem to be figured out, when we think we've got everything together. And we ask that you would use these words to comfort us when you seem distant, when things are falling apart. Help us to believe the gospel and be changed by it. I pray that my words would fall to the floor and only your words remain. And I pray this in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. When Nicole and I were dating, we went with her family to the U.S. National Whitewater Rafting Center outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And before you get in a boat, they make you go through a safety seminar. It's all the kinds of things that you would expect before you go whitewater rafting. Never take off your helmet or your life jacket. Always hold your paddle with two hands so you don't accidentally hit somebody with it. If you fall out of the boat, try and float on your back with your feet up so your feet don't get caught on rocks on the bottom of the river. 
And if you find yourself underneath the boat, be sure to scamper along the end until you get to the side where you can wrap your arms around the side of the boat and kick your leg back up and get in, right? Good advice, things that you would expect to hear before going whitewater rafting. But the value of that advice changes once you get out on the water, doesn't it? We were going down one of the runs, and the raft was bobbing and moving left and right, and it suddenly lurched forward. And Jenny, Nicole's mom, who happened to be sitting right behind me, thankfully had paid attention to the safety advice, and she was holding her paddle with two hands. So she was able to brace herself against my back, knocking me into the river. I came up underneath the raft, and so I listened to the directions, and I scampered along the bottom until I came to the edge, and I wrapped my arms around the side of the raft. But I had come up on the downstream side of the raft, which means I was being drugged by the raft itself, and no matter how hard I fought and kicked, I couldn't flip my leg up and over the side of the boat. And so the rafting guide that was in the back had to come over and pick me up by my life jacket. I had to be rescued. The Apostle Paul was a missionary, and he would travel around through different regions, in this case Galatia, and he would proclaim the gospel, the good news that the one true God loved all of his people, and that their sins, their inability to live as they were created to live, had been forgiven because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his Son. God was welcoming all humanity into his family because of what Jesus had done. And all the people had to do to receive it was receive God's gracious gift. Many people believed. Many people followed Jesus. And so Paul would raise up a few leaders, plant a church in that town, and then move on to the next town where he would proclaim the same message. But after a little while, after Paul had left, some other teachers came through Galatia. And they began to teach something that sounded similar, but had a few different insightful additions, we'll call it. The people of Galatia began to listen to these teachers. And as you can hear from Paul's words at the beginning of, his, of this book, he doesn't think the messages are similar at all. In fact, he says that listening to these other teachers has led the Galatians to desert Jesus, to abandon Him. Because the message of these teachers changes what they believe and how they live. Paul's response is to call the believers in Galatia back to the one true gospel, back to the message that he had proclaimed to them earlier, the good news of what Jesus had done for them. And he does this by reminding the Christians in Galatia what they really need. And in our passage, it's just two things, just two points for our sermon this morning. He says, you need to be rescued. You don't need a resource. You need to belong. You don't need to behave. Rescue, not resource. Belong, not behave. Two points for us this morning. Let's start by looking at the truth that we need to be rescued. Now, this passage, in fact, the whole letter hinges on what exactly these teachers were adding to Paul's message, what they were adding to the gospel. And what we see throughout the book of Galatians, throughout Paul's other letters, and throughout the book of Acts, which records Paul's missionary journeys, is that these teachers would follow Paul around, and they would encourage the new Christians in that city to live good Christian lives. But those Christian lives sounded a lot like good Jewish lives, just with a little Jesus sprinkled in. They were teaching the Christians of Galatia 
that because they were followers of Jesus, they also had to be followers of the Jewish purity laws. Everybody had to eat following the Jewish food purity laws. All the men had to be circumcised. Yes, believe in Jesus, they would say, that His death and resurrection saves you from your sins, that because He died for you, you have a spot in heaven, you're guaranteed for the future, but because you believe that for then, that means now you must live like this. I know what you're thinking. Before you just scoff, mutter something like, who would believe that kind of nonsense? You and I would. We buy into the same kind of similar messaging with a few insightful additions, things that we like to add to the gospel in order to help us know what we should do in our daily lives, things that we add to make it seem like we're really believing, we're really following Jesus, things that seem practical, logical, beneficial, but they're actually not. Maybe your mind went to some kind of fundamentalism. Maybe you're thinking of a particular incredibly conservative church that demands their followers wear a particular type of clothing. They abstain from certain movies and certain foods and drinks, things like that. But what if these gospel additions were a little more subtle, a little more culturally relevant, maybe? Like saying, following Jesus means that you have to love your neighbor and talking about behaviors and preferences, holding me accountable, that's not very loving. You need to love Jesus and just let people be people. That, too, is adding to the gospel. Maybe you grew up hearing this phrase, Christians don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do. (laughs) Maybe that's too old for you. What about something more relevant, something practical for today's world? Well, perhaps you've read or seen that people who are faithfully following Jesus must be worshiping in their church buildings despite safety concerns or government regulations. Now, please hear me. There's nothing wrong with worshiping in your church building if that's what your conscience leads you to. But as soon as you say, a faithful Christian must, you begin to add to the gospel. I could spend the next couple of hours chronicling all the little things that we add to the gospel that we lead, uh, that we follow, that we believe in, but it would be better for us to hear what Paul calls the Galatians back to, what we are called back to, the true gospel. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. That is the gospel. Jesus Christ gave Himself for our sins to deliver us. That word there in verse 4, deliver, it's the Greek word exireo, and it means to draw out or, or to pluck out, and it carries with it the connotation of what God has done for His people in the Old Testament plucking them out of slavery in Egypt, drawing them to safety by parting the Red Sea and letting them walk across dry land. It's miraculous deliverance. It's rescue. Paul is saying to the people of Galatia, you needed to be rescued. The same is true for us here in San Jose, in Silicon Valley, wherever you're watching from, you and I, we need to be rescued. Jesus is that rescue. His life of perfect obedience, His undeserving sacrificial death on the cross, and His miraculous resurrection from the dead rescues us 
from our sin and the death that it deserves. It brings us from death to life, rescues us from death to life. That's the way the Bible talks about it. In Ezekiel chapter 37, God leads the prophet up to a valley full of dry bones, bodies that had been dead for a long time. And through his own power, God brings those bones back to life. He restores them to life. That's the kind of work that God does in the lives of people that he rescues. That is the rescuing of Jesus. And if you add anything to that at all, anything, it goes from being a rescue to a resource. It's just a very convenient thing to help you solve one part of your life while you work on figuring out all the other parts of your life. I often find myself counseling people, whether it's married couples, people who are thinking about getting married, or individuals, and I like to ask this question, what is Jesus up to? As they're telling me something that's gone wrong in their life, something that they're celebrating maybe, as they're lamenting some kind of struggle in their life, I ask, what is Jesus up to? People don't know how to answer that. Often the answer is something like, I'm sure He wants me to trust Him more, or uh, I probably should stop sinning in this way. But Stephen, what I really want is for you to tell me how to get rid of this thing in my life. Or like, tell me what to say to fix this relationship. Or is there a book that you can just tell me to read? Right? We don't like to think that we need to be rescued now. And I know this because I don't like to ask that question myself. I don't like to ask what Jesus is up to in the hard, painful lonely times of my life. I'd just rather figure out how to be a better husband, father, friend, a better Christian on my own. We need to be rescued, not just for then, not just for the future because of our sins, but we need to be rescued right now, as Paul says, from this present evil age. I'm sure it might be easy for you to look out your window or open up your phone or look at your home screen and say, yeah, this present age is very evil. But notice that Paul says that Jesus gave himself for our sins. It starts in here. Reminds me of that story. The famous author, G.K. Chesterton, wrote a letter to the London Times. It was very short. It said, Dear Sirs, concerning your article titled, What is Wrong with the World Today? I am. This present evil age, it starts in here. It starts in you. We need to be rescued from ourselves. We don't need a resource to try and get better on our own. We need to be rescued. And believing that has a profound impact on the way that we live and the way that we interact. Paul knew that, and he has something to say about that too. He says you need a rescue, not a resource, and you need to belong, not behave. You need to belong, not behave. It's not as though these false teachers rolled into Galatia and just completely trashed Paul. They didn't say, listen, that guy is a kook. Don't listen to anything that he's saying. He doesn't know anything about what he's talking about. They couched their message in such a way that the Christians who had come to faith under Paul's message would hear similar wording. And then they would look around at their lives, they would see the message of these teachers, and they would say, yeah, this kind of makes sense to us. Now, they definitely... Uh, tried to subvert Paul's authority. That's why he starts the letter by saying, I'm an apostle. I was sent by God. He's telling the people, I really am sent to you on authority. 
The, the teachers probably had a message that sounded something like this. Paul, love him, good guy, great heart, but what he was telling you is just incomplete, right? His message wasn't sanctioned by the religious authorities. Like, what we are telling you, this comes from the top. Yes, Jesus came to forgive sins. Yes, God is welcoming all humanity into His family, but we need to remind you that God has had a special relationship with the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And don't forget that Jacob's name was changed to what? Israel. That's right. This family of God, it's a Jewish family. So if you believe in Jesus, if you're part of the family, you too need to become Jewish. You know, circumcision, food purity laws, all that kind of stuff. That's how you know you're in the family. That's how we differentiate ourselves from those who aren't in the family. Do you see what just happened? When we reduce the message of Jesus to nothing more than a resource, then we begin to exclude people who think and act and looked differently than we do. Right? To be sure, these teachers are encouraging the Galatians to conform to a certain behavior, but underneath that conformity is the other side of the truth, which is that nonconformity is the mark of unbelief. Those who didn't look, speak, and eat like Jews couldn't possibly be part of the family of God. Likewise, you and I, when we forget about the rescue, we begin to focus on behavior as the mark of following Jesus. It's only natural. Scott Sauls, who's a pastor in Nashville, puts it this way. He says, we all ask questions of criteria. Whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, when someone says to you that they are a Christian, you begin to ask questions about their behavior, maybe to yourself, maybe to them. Questions of criteria. You're a Christian. Well, how do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? What kind of language do you use? What kind of beverages do you drink? How well do you know the Bible? Right, what kind of job do you have? What kind of level of education do you have? How conservative are you? How liberal are you? How many tattoos do you have? Right, questions that help us root out whether or not they really follow Jesus. We ask these questions to dis- discern whether or not they're actually doing what they say they're doing. Right? We begin to exclude people based on how those questions are answered, based on their behavior. Who in your life have you written off? Whose behavior or apathy has led you to assume, yeah, they don't care. They're not following Jesus. I'm not even going to talk to them about Jesus because I know how they're going to respond. Maybe it's you. Maybe you look around at your life and you think, look at all this stuff that I'm twisted up in. I'm tangled up. And look at all these relationships that are broken. Look at the partying. Look how I spend my evenings. Look at how often I get drunk. Look at how much time I spend on video games. Like, there's no way I belong. There's no way Jesus would want to rescue me. I'm too messy. I'm too broken. I don't belong here. I want to remind you the words of Jesus himself from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verse 17. It's not the healthy that need a physician, but the sick. If you know that you are broken and messy and lost, then you belong in Jesus. It is those people that Jesus came to be with. 
you know you need to be rescued when you know you're lost. There's also a warning, isn't there? If you think everyone else is sick and twisted and messy, there's an assumption that you're healthy, that you've got it all together, you've figured it out. That means that you probably don't need the great physician. You probably don't need to be rescued. God has one criteria for being part of His family. Do you know that you need to be rescued? Anyone from anywhere who turns to God looking for rescue is rescued. They're welcomed in. The blood of Jesus is applied to them, and they become a daughter, a son of the one true king. That's it. That is the one criteria for being part of God's family. Not behavior, belonging. And that means that Jew and Gentile alike are welcomed in. Paul knew that. He says that at the very beginning of his letter. You might not see it. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Grace, Karen, was the standard Greek greeting. Shalom, peace, was the standard Hebrew greeting. Grace, Greeks, shalom, peace, Hebrews, welcome through whom? God, our Father. God draws Jew and Gentile alike to Himself. What is it that you need? That question is actually answered in the exact same way in the movie Castaway. Do you remember Castaway from 20 years ago? Tom Hanks plays a FedEx employee who is on a cargo plane when it crashes in the ocean, and he washes ashore on a deserted island with a bunch of the packages that were on the plane. And he is determined to keep himself physically and mentally alive so that he can be rescued. Right? How does he do that on the island? He talks to a volleyball, number one, but number two, he holds on to one package, doesn't open it. It's got a beautiful art piece of artwork on it, beautiful wings, and he's determined that when he is rescued, he will deliver that package, and it keeps him going. For five years, it keeps him alive mentally and physically until finally he's rescued. It happens, only to discover that he actually needs something else. He gets back home and, and realizes that he doesn't belong anywhere. The world has moved on without him. His company doesn't need him anymore, so they give him retirement. His longtime girlfriend, well, she thought he was dead, so she's been married and now has a kid. His parents have died. He doesn't have anywhere to belong. At the end of the movie, as he's driving this package to its destination, he's actually standing in the middle of a a crossroads in empty Texas, and a woman drives up in a truck, and she begins to tell him what is at the end of each of the four roads. And as she drives away on the back of her truck, you see the exact same art piece, the wings that were on that package. And as the movie closes out, it zooms in on his face. And we know that he's asking the same question that we as audience are asking. Is this where he belongs? In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, our needs are met. You are rescued. You are welcomed home. And if you add anything to that, anything at all, you lose both. That's why Paul so vehemently says, if anyone 
including myself or an angel from heaven, proclaims that the gospel is Jesus and any insightful addition, let him be accursed. We all need to be rescued. We all need to belong. And we find both in Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, we're thankful that you come in search of us, that you came to us when we were helpless, when we were hopeless, when we were your enemies, when we were far off, and you rescue us, you save us. You don't just save us from something, but you save us for something. You save us for your family. You rescue us to be your children. We ask that you would never let us forget that. We ask that you would help us to not look to behavior, to not try to figure our lives out on our own, but that we would welcome those who proclaim and profess the name of Jesus Christ as our brothers and sisters. Help us to believe. Help us to be set free. We pray this in His mighty and powerful name. Amen.